want to start off with today. And the question is this, do your relationships ever feel transactional? And what I mean by that is, do your relationships ever feel almost like a business deal? You know, almost like we've agreed upon, you know, I will provide you with goods and services and you will provide me with goods and services and we will be friends so long as we continue this thing. Sometimes it feels like our relationships are just this functional business deal that it's like, you know, we're, we're there for each other in certain ways. But then, too, sometimes we get this fear inside of us of what if I don't hold my end of the bargain? What if I all of a sudden, what if I disagreed with them? What if I, what if I told them they were wrong? You know, what if I stood up to them or what if I didn't want to participate in what they were participating in? And we almost have this fear, but, but if I don't do that, if I don't provide what I provide for them, if I'm no longer worth it to them, maybe, maybe they won't even be my friend. I mean, sometimes we get in this fearful mode of losing a friend because we don't do what they want us to do or we don't say what they want us to say. Or maybe even if we have a different opinion, we might, we might end up not even being friends at all. And the thing is that if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. There's been a recent study done. We shared this uh, a few months ago, and I thought it was really worthwhile to bring into this conversation as well. But 48%, 48% of Gen Z said that they felt their relationships were transactional and not genuine. That's nearly half. Nearly half of Gen Z say, yeah, I feel like all my relationships, people are just in a relationship with me. People are just friends with me because of what I can provide them, because of what I do for them. And maybe you have felt that yourself. Maybe you've been in that kind of relationship and you felt like, man, yeah, people just, they're friends with me because of what I can do, because of how I entertain them, because of what I provide for them. And all of us have had those times where when we did disagree with somebody, when we had a different opinion, well, we were unfriended, we were unfriended in reality, we were unfriended on social media, we were canceled, people, people said that they were done with us, they cut us out of their lives simply because we didn't do what they, what they wanted us to do. I, I, I lived uh, kind of firsthand through this a little bit when I was in college and I started to date my wife, Kate. She had this group of friends. She met them freshman year. They were just a gang of girls that all lived together. They got along great and everything. And they just kind of stuck with each other through college and everything. And then junior year, Kate and I started to date. And all of these girls were single, didn't really have relationships or anything like that. And then Kate started to date me. And so I kind of, you know, stole Kate away a little bit. You know what I mean? And so these girls, I I don't know exactly what it is Kate provided. Kate's so easy to get along with. She's such a good listener, such a good supporter. And so all of a sudden Kate was spending her time with me and this group of girls did not like this at all. And there was one girl in particular, it was Kate's um, physical roommate. They lived in a house together, but it was the girl who they shared a room together. And it was probably one of her best friends of the group. There was one date that we were on, it's probably the third or fourth date. And in the middle of the date, this girl calls Kate and goes, I'm bored, come pick me up. And so my wife turns to me and, you know, again, we're just dating at the time, third or fourth date. She goes, hey, uh, my friend wants us to come pick her up. She's bored. And I'm like, oh, well then. 
sorry, I didn't know she was bored. Let's go, right? So we like change all of our plans. We take the car back to school, pick her up. And I'll never forget, I had a little Ford Escort, okay? And just a little bucket seat in the back. She just sat in the middle between our two seats with her phone. She just texted or did something, but she didn't say a single word the entire date. So I'm just driving around on a date with Kate. And this girl's in the back with her. I kept looking in the rear view mirror. Her face would just glow up by the cell phone light is all that was going on. And every once in a while, she would just giggle. And I'd be like, what, what's, what's so funny? Nothing is what she'd say. And I'm like, okay, this is getting really creepy and really weird, okay? And then we got done with the date, dropped Kate off, dropped her off, and she goes, thanks. And I'm like, okay, well, we need to have a conversation. And we did. We had a conversation about, you know, boundaries and, you know, if we were going to move forward in our relationship, you know, you kind of gonna have to get away from this pack a little bit here. And so she did. She started to draw some clear boundaries and stuff, and they did not like this at all. They, they retaliated. This one in particular that I was just talking about, she started to plan outings and stuff for the girls and wouldn't invite Kate. She would leave Kate out. And when Kate would figure out that she would left out, she would ask about it, try to address it. And she would get things like, well, we didn't invite you because, you know, you don't need us anymore because you have a boyfriend. And it's kind of, you know, hard things like that were kind of said to her and stuff. And it kind of tried to started to draw kind of a, a line in the sand and divide the two of them. And this girl, this girl literally, when we got engaged, we were like, that girl is going to be Kate's maid of honor. Definitely. It's her best friend. It's her roommate. It's been her roommate through, you know, all these years of school. That girl went from being our maid of honor in our wedding to not even being invited to the wedding because the relationship got so toxic. And the thing is, is Kate and I, sometimes we look back on that relationship. We look back on that friendship and we think about you know, what, what went wrong? What could have been different? But the thing is, is that Kate was in a transactional relationship. This girl was friends with Kate because of the service that Kate provided. And the moment that, that Kate got a boyfriend, started to do things differently, wasn't always there for her the way she wanted her to be there for her, there was retaliation, there was revenge, there was a toxic environment all of a sudden. And the thing is that we, we all wrestle with this question, I think, with our friendships. Is how do I ensure that my relationships are genuine and not transactional? How can I be sure that in my friendships, we genuinely care each other. We genuinely mean something to each other. And it's not just an arrangement. It's not just a business deal that could potentially go wrong. If you're just joining us, we're in part two of our series called Good Friends. And what we started with last week is that our Surgeon General of the United States back in May, he gave a report of the health and condition of our country. And he talked about how functionally we are past the pandemic of COVID-19, but there is a new epidemic that is here that we are going to have to deal with. And he called it the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. And he talked about how Gen Z, Gen Alpha, millennials, their mental health is worse than it's ever been. And it's not just them. Even seniors. We have spent over the last few years $6 billion per year trying to attend to seniors 55 and over because of the amount of isolation and loneliness they have felt through the pandemic. Because of things like working from home, working remote, uh, people being in different situations through through COVID, it's created this epidemic of, of a mental health crisis. But not only that, but that mental health crisis is literally uh, changing our physical health as well. Things like heart disease, dementia, diabetes, they're all, they're all higher than they've ever been. And clinically, clinically, 25% of Gen Z is clinically depressed, which is amazing. 
So what the Surgeon General was trying to help us understand, something that we understand as Christians, is that your friendships determine the direction, quality, and health of your life. Now, here's the thing. For the first time in a long time, neuroscience, we're all on the same page with this. Psychology, we're all on the same page with this. Science, we're all on the same page with this. Christianity, we're all on the same page with this. We all agree your friendships determine the direction and quality and health of your life. But the question that that the government doesn't have an answer to is what do we do? We know we're at a critical load here. We know we need to do something. We know we have a problem. But where do we go and who do we turn to? And that's why we're talking about it as a church. Because I think that we can have some answers to this. And the thing that we talked about is that you can't just sit here and pray for good people to come to you. And God to provide good friendships for you. And for you, him to just drop them in your lap. That's not how it's going to happen. But what you do have control of is you, yourself. And what you can do is we talked about this. Friends won't come to you, but you have to move towards friends. This series is about how you can be a good friend to somebody else. And our hope is, in turn, is that they would learn how to be a good friend to you and a good friend to others. But the church has to be an example of good, healthy relationships. And so, for the next four weeks, we are going to look, like, we're going to look at friendships throughout the Bible. And we're going to unpack them. There's some great life lessons to take from them. And these are scripture verses and stories that you probably haven't even heard, you haven't even read. I mean, how many of you have read the book of Philemon in your Bible? It's only two pages. You probably didn't even know it was there. And so, we're, I'm really excited because some of this stuff stuff you've probably never read, you've probably never heard preached on before. But today, where we're going to start is we're going to start between the friendship between Naomi and Ruth. The book of Ruth is in your Old Testament. And when you go back there, we think that it was written between 6th and 4th century BCE. And it doesn't give us an author to this, but we believe that the prophet Samuel is the one who actually wrote this down. And we're going to dive right into it. This is what it says in the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elamech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. And then it says that Elamech, Naomi's husband, he died, and she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for about 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died. So Naomi was left with her two sons, and, without, without her two sons and her husband. So... Just to get you caught up if you didn't get all this. We have this woman named Naomi. Her husband dies. Her two sons die. She's just left there with her two daughter-in-laws. Who are not from the same place as her. Total different culture. Total different context. Here we have this relationship. What in the world do we do next? That's what on everybody's mind. Because they need support. They they need resources. So where are they going to go and what are they going to do next? And before anybody can think of anything, Naomi, she presents a plan. She goes, here's what we're going to do. And then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And then she says this, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi, before anybody can say anything, she goes, hey, guys. I can read the room. Let me just tell you what's going to happen here. Here's the deal. Your husbands, my sons, they're dead. And look, 
Let's be honest with each other. That's the only reason we were even friends with one another, right? I mean, you could, you didn't choose me as a mother-in-law. I was, I was handed over to you because of who you married. And I get it. Hey, look, nobody likes their mother-in-law. Amen. Don't say it, Mike. Don't say it. I, I heard you. You're about to raise your hand and praise Jesus. Don't, no, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. Nobody likes their mother-in-law. So, hey, man, just, you know, it, it, it's cool. I tell you what. I'm going to let you guys off the hook. This was an arrangement. This was a transactional relationship. Why don't you guys just go home? I get it. I'm fine. Go restart your lives somewhere else. So she identifies that this is a transactional relationship. And she goes, hey, I can't fulfill my end of the bargain. So you guys go ahead and go home. And then this is what it says next. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept out loud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. So for a minute, they hang on and they go, no, no, no. We will stay with you, Naomi. And Naomi's response was this. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? Who could become your husband? She's saying, guys, look, I can't, I can't fulfill my end of the deal. I can't do anything for you. I, she's basically saying, I have no value to you. I, I can't do anything for you. I can't provide you with another set of boys to marry. So look, just, just go. It's fine. It's all right. And it says next, at this, they wept out loud. And then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. So Orpah, she, she, it's, it's upsetting, but she, she lets her go and she starts her way, her journey home. But Ruth, Ruth clings to her for a moment. And Naomi, she's so kind. She's so compassionate. She says, hey, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people, to her gods. Go back with her. You know what? You know what Naomi is saying in the moment? She's saying, hey, sweetheart, listen. Do the math. Do the math. All right? There's no reason why you should be in a relationship with me. There's no reason why you should have, continue your friendship with me. Look, here's the math. It's really clear. I'm old and I got no sons and I've got no resources. I'm not worth it. You need to go home and you need to find another man to marry. And you need to take on his mother-in-law as your family. And you need to go and live your life. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever stopped and thought to yourself, man, I get it. Why would, why would anyone want to be my friend? Why would anybody ever want to be in a relationship with me? I mean, come on, man, do the math. I mean, the mistakes I've made, the messy person that I am, the current search situation that I'm in the middle. Look, I get it. I'm not worth it. Who would ever want to be a friend of mine? Or maybe for some of you, the math's a little different. You're like, man, come on, do the math. I'm single, all right? All these married people that are my age, they all got relationships and kids. Here I am, I'm single, you know. Michael Barrio's even laughing at you right now, you know, he thinks it's hilarious, you know. I don't have a cool job. Some of you guys, you got cool jobs, you know. You're doing cool things, you're all this stuff. I don't have a cool job, you know. I just, I, my, my, my job is plain Jane. I try to make it cool. I try to, you know, when people ask me the position, I'm the operator of this and that. And really though, I, I work at FedEx. You know, I mean, it's just, it's not that cool. And I got a super weird laugh. I mean, if you get me cackling, I sound like a witch who is drowning. I mean, it's really, really bad. So why in the world would you want to be my friend? Look, I get it. Or some of you may be a little different. Look, I'm not your typical, I'm not your typical guy. 
Okay, you take me to Buffalo Wild Wings afterwards and you start talking football, I'm going to say, yay, score a goal unit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what you're even talking about. Or I'm not your typical girl, okay? I'm not your typical girl. Girls like to talk about this stuff. That's not me. So I get it. And I'm an introvert. I, I, I try, I fake it as an extrovert, but I'm really an introvert, okay? You ask me what my dream Friday night is, it's going to a hotel room with a book and not talking to anybody for 48 hours, okay? Like, that's me. And I'm into some wicked weird hobbies, you know? Like, I own the Lord of the Ring books and the movies, okay? That's the kind of weirdo I am. Some of you, you need help, and we're praying for you, okay? But look... I'm not worth it. You shouldn't be my friend. So look, I get it. I'm letting you off the hook. It's fine. I, I understand. But here's the thing. As Naomi feels like she has zero value, as she feels like nobody would want to be her friend, and she looks at Ruth and she goes, look, I, you just need to let me go. This is Ruth's response. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn my back from you. Where you go... I will go where you stay. I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then she says this, she says, and where you will die, I will die as well. And there we will be buried together. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. If even death separates you and me, that's quite a brave heart speech right there. Isn't it? I mean, she's like, no, 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 I'm sticking with you. And here's the thing. She doesn't just go like, well, we'll see how it works out. Maybe I'll meet a cute guy on the way, you know, let's just try this for a little bit longer. You know, no, she goes, no, I'm, I'm making, I'm making you a promise right now where you go. I go where you die. I die. I mean, your people are going to be my people. I am putting you first and I am promising you. I will not leave your side. I don't know about you, but I was, when I was reading this and I was reading this story, the only thing that came to my mind is, you know what Ruth is? Ruth is a ride or die, right? Which, by the way, I looked up the origin of this word. Don't go find it, okay? <laughs> it has to do with hip hop and some other stuff. Don't go there. But for our purposes today, Ruth is a ride or die, right? She is a ride or die. And here's the thing. We all want that, right? We all want a ride or die. We all want somebody who goes, Hey, look, doesn't matter if you if your best day or it's your worst day. I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you to the end where you go. I go. If you tell me oh, we got to go somewhere and I can't tell you what we're going to do, but this is what we got to do. I want you to look at me and say, well, whose car are we taking? Okay. That's the kind of ride or die I want. And when we see that, When we see those kinds of relationships, I mean, it inspires us. We want those kinds of friendships. Um, The other day, I was thinking about this movie. You remember this movie right here? Remember the Titans? Remember? You remember Gary and Julius? I showed this movie to my kids the other day. They said, Daddy, we want to watch one of your old movies. Why don't you turn one of your old movies on? This movie is 24 years old now. Can you even believe that for a minute? I'm like, kids, when there was a rainy day and we couldn't go to recess, this is what we watched, okay, in social studies. This was social studies class right here at Fort Zumwalt South. But you remember Gary and Julius, right? I mean, they were, they became friends. Remember left side? Strong side, right? Left side, strong side. I mean, this is a true story. These men were actually, uh, this was a true story and they were good, good friends. But when we see that, I mean, we're like, man, I wish I had me a Julius, you know? Or I'll give you another example, right? I mean, every Starsky wants a hutch, right? 
This, Darren, our bass player, this, in college, this was our movie, okay? This is our movie we'd quote to each other. They'd be like, hey, I like your style. He'd say, I like your moves. We still say that to this day. Weirds people out. They don't know what's going on. But everybody needs a Starsky and Hutch. Now, I realize there are some older people in the room today. So let me fix this for you just real quick. I know that this is probably more of your, your thing, okay? Um, so maybe this is your Starsky and your Hutch. And I also, hey, I also know there's some younger people in the room too. So you know Gen Z, hey, every Patrick needs a SpongeBob, right? So now we're all relating to, okay, we're all on the same page, right? But every Patrick needs a SpongeBob. But when we see that, that's what we want. Every Batman needs his Robin. Every Patrick needs his SpongeBob. We want a ride or die friend that we just know. We don't ever have to fear that they're going to betray us and they're going to, or they're going to leave us. They are going to be with us through the end. That's what Ruth told Naomi. She said, hey, I'm going to be with you no matter what. You don't have to worry about it. You don't need to be fearful about it. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm your ride or die, man. I'm going to be with you through it all. How do we get to that kind of friendship? How do we get to that kind of level of loyalty, of genuine care for one another? I'll tell you what it boils down to. It boils down to a very, very simple word. It boils down to value. And here's the thing about value. You can either have earned value or you can have given value. You can make your friends or people around you earn their value. You know what I'm talking about? It's where you keep score with one another. We determine whether or not they're a good friend, whether they're worth keeping around in our life by what they do for us, the service that they provide for us. And a lot of times that's what we do. We measure each other up. I'm going to determine how I get along with you, how, if you agree with me or not, uh, how you entertain me, what services you provide for me, if you, if you go my way or if you go a different way. And a lot of times we make people earn their value. As a matter of fact, we make people earn their value. And then when we decide that they've lost their value, we've all been guilty of saying this or we've heard somebody say it. I'm done with them. You ever heard that? You ever said that? You ever said that to a friend, a family member? You said, you know what? I've determined you've lost your value. I have weighed you. I have measured you and I have kept score and I have determined I am done with them. And maybe you haven't said that yourself, but you have a friend who you've heard that say about somebody else. And I'll tell you something real quick. You need to be careful about that friendship. Because if somebody, if a friend of yours determines that they're done with somebody else, it could be just a matter of time, one incident where they decide that they are done with you. Because here's the thing. All of us at some point in time are going to lose our value. At some point in time, all of us are going to make a mistake. At some point in time, all of us are going to have a different opinion and we're going to lose a little bit of our value. And if you have a earned value system... Well, then you're probably going to see people come in and out of your life. But the, the opposite of that is to give people value. To give people value. To tell people, like, look, I know you, you are valuable to me. And the thing is, it's not because, it's not because, go ahead and put that next one up there. It's not because of what you've done for me. It's because of what you mean to me. I have determined it's not about what you do or don't do for me. I want you to know I have given you value. I have gifted you value because of what you mean to me.
I have a little example that I, that I want to show you. I've got some I've got some toys here from my office. So I, I collect Funko Pops. Okay, I know I'm a weirdo, right? It's my thing. Okay, do the math. Anyway, I collect Funko Pops. They're these little bobblehead things, right? And I really love Marvel movies, comic book movies, and stuff. So my office is filled with all these little Marvel Funko Pops, and I collect them. And my wife told me I couldn't put them at the house anymore, so they're in my office. And so, um, but I have I have a lot of lot. Of, that are very valuable. This is my most valuable one. This is Captain America with the Captain America shield and his little Thor hammer pronounced Mjolnir. Okay. Anyway, uh, but this one is actually worth something. This is very valuable. Like I have a little app that, you know, uh, calculates the value of my Funko pops and stuff, um, that I show that to my wife and it helps me keep them a little bit longer. And, um, this one's actually worth some money. It's very, it's very rare. There's so many of them made, and I found it, and I, and I keep it in my office. And so the world, the world determines that this, is, this one is very, very valuable. Now, in my office are a ton of Marvel Funko Pops. And then, in the middle of my desk, staring right at you when you sit at my desk, is this one right here. This is Michael Scott from The Office, okay? And he has a little mug, if you can't read it, and it says, World's Best Boss, Okay? Now, here's the thing. This one is worth a lot of money. It has a lot of values, what the world says. But actually, this is one of my favorite Funko Pops in my office. There's a reason that this one sits on my desk. It's not very valuable. You can find it on Amazon. It's only like eight or nine bucks. It's not rare. There's nothing really special about it. But here's the thing. It's very, very special to me. Because this one was given to me by one of our staff members, Pastor Ashley, who plays the keyboard. And I got this from her and her family there. And I think it was boss's day or my birthday or something like that. And it came with a card and, and Jason and the boys and Ashley all wrote me a, a message and, and it talked about, Hey, thanks for being a good boss. Thanks for being a good friend. Thanks for being a great pastor and stuff. Then here's the thing. There's a reason this one sits on my desk because every once in a while I'll get a dirty email I'll get a hateful letter with nobody's name on it that bullet points all the things that somebody doesn't like about me or something. And in those moments, I'll feel about this small. I'll feel like, wow, I don't have any value. I have zero worth. And it'll make me feel so small. And then I'll look up and I'll see this. And it's a great reminder that, hey, don't, don't let those distractions get in your way. Don't listen to those lies. Don't listen to those voices in your head. Don't go there. Somebody thinks you're the world's best boss. Somebody loves you. Somebody cares about you. You, you mean a lot to someone. And it's almost, it's almost a, a reminder that, that, that brings me out of that. And so for that reason, this Funko Pop means a great deal to me. Here's the thing. Don't we all want a relationship like that? Don't we all want a friendship like that? A friendship that even when we don't feel valuable, even when we don't feel worth it, we still feel loved. We still feel like we mean something to somebody else. That's exactly what Ruth was for Naomi. Naomi said, I have no value. Go ahead and leave me. Abandon me. I get it. Do the math. And Ruth said, I have done the math. And despite the math, I've chosen to give you value. You mean something to me. And I am your ride or die. So stop asking me to leave. Where you go, I go. Man, we hear that. And I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking like, man, I got to get me a roof. You know, I need me a ride or die. I need me a friend. 
As a matter of fact, some of you, you're going to send this sermon to somebody and be like, hey, you need to hear this, okay? You need to be this kind of friend for me. I need you to be my hutch, okay? Get with the program here, okay? But here's the thing. That, that won't work. That's how we usually think of these things, but that won't work. Because you can't control what other people do. Remember, that's not the point of this series. The point of this series isn't how to get other people to be the Ruth that you need. The point of this series is for how you can become a good friend. The point of this is how can you be a better Ruth? How can you be somebody else's ride or die? And the answer to that, the motivation behind that, is found in a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I think... Paul figured this out and he was talking to this church and he was like, hey, you want to have better friendships? You want to have better relationships with each other? And do you need some motivation to be a good friend? Let me teach you a little trick. And this is what he writes him. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Something I hear very commonly in our culture, kind of a phrase that we like to use is, hey, man, you got to do what's best for you. We'll do what's best for you, man. I get it. And people have even used that with me, and it, it, it feels good to hear that. It almost gives you, feels like permission to do what you feel like you need to do or to do what you want to do. But you hear people say, well, you got to do what's best for you. You got to do what's best for you and your family, right? You got to do right by you. And you hear that, and you're like, yeah, that's right. I got to do what's best for me. I got to do right by me. I got to do right by my family. But here's the thing. I, I, I don't know if that's Christ-like philosophy or theology. Because the thing is, is Paul says, do nothing, do no thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We could probably have a, a fun debate about that. But he, he continues on and he says this, rather in humility, value others above yourself. You know what humility is? Humility is lowering yourself, making yourself a servant. He says, lower yourself and elevate other people. He says, giving them value. Again, not making them earn it, not making them deserve it. But he says, rather lower yourselves and elevate other people above yourself. Giving them value, giving them worth. And then he says this, not looking at your own interests. Again, what part of that says do what you got to do? Do what's best for you. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, oh, you could do that. And I get that. That's a good debate for the mental health argument and all that stuff. But when it comes to your friendships and the friendships that I know you want, doing what's best for you ain't going to get you very far. He says, instead, don't look at your own interests, but each of you look to the interests of the other person. Paul says this, this is the equation for a good friendship. This is how you get a ride or die. This is how you care for one another. This is how you make your relationships genuine instead of transactional. And again, you're all smart people, right? You're probably, if I just stopped it right there, you'd get in the car this afternoon, you'd drive home and you'd start debating the sermon. You know, we all do that. And you'd say, yeah, I get what he was saying. But the thing is, man, is if you lower yourself and you elevate other people and you put other people's interest above your own and stuff, man, you put yourself in a, a situation where they could take advantage of you. You know, you put yourself in a very scary situation where, you know, somebody could, could use you, even abuse you. So I don't know 
know if that's what you want to do, you know, and, you know, and the other person would nod their head and stuff. And that person would agree with you probably because they were, again, scared of the transactional relationship, you know, that you would hurt them later or something like that or not want to be their friend. So, you know, that's where we'd be. But here's the thing. Paul, he's a genius. Paul says, you know what? I tell you what, if you've got any excuses of why you shouldn't live this way, let me put all those excuses to rest. At least for those of you who'd said that you follow Jesus. Because he gives us motivation of why we should treat others this way. He says this. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, if there's any debate among you Christians of how you should treat one another, of why in the world would you ever lower the value of yourself and elevate the values of others and put other people's, other people's interests first? He said, because, after all, Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Because isn't it true that when God looked down on the world and the mess that we made with our free will, that God could have just said, you know what? That's it. I'm walking away from this relationship. I've tried it with the angels. I've tried it with mankind. You know what? We're going to go back to the board and we're going to try version 3.0. And I've got to finally create something that doesn't destroy what I create and doesn't devour one another. He could have done that. I mean, do the math. We definitely deserved it and earned it. We definitely didn't deserve or earn his grace or a second chance. But God looked at the world and because he loved the world for God so loved the world he we meant something to him he decided to give us value and he decided to send his son Jesus Christ and Paul would say later in another letter he'd say and then making himself nothing Jesus Christ became a servant Jesus Christ lowered himself And put others above him. Valued others. Pushed others to the front of the line. And so Paul says, come on. In your relationships. You want a good friendship? You want a good relationship? You want a ride or die type of relationship? You want to be like a Ruth? Well, here's how you do it. And after all, is it so much to ask when that is what Jesus Christ has done for you? There's a prayer I learned a few years ago that has, has helped me live this out in the context of my life practically. Because it's hard sometimes to wrap our head around all this and all these different ideas. But there's a prayer that somebody gave me. I don't even remember where I learned it or, or who, who taught it to me that can help with this. And the prayer is this. God, help me to see what you see in them. God, in my friends that are sometimes hard to be friends with. God, in my family that is sometimes they're, they're hard to be family with. God, in the people around me, in my coworkers, Lord, in my neighbors, Lord, in the friends of my kids, God, will you help me to see what you see in them? And here's what you'll find. If you can learn to pray this prayer and spend time thinking on the positive and the good and the things that God sees in them, and you set your mind in the same way that Jesus Christ did, of putting others first and see, you know what it creates in you? It creates empathy. And you begin to see the value, even in broken people, where people see a broken person, they go, oh my gosh, do the math. They're not worth it. They're a lost cause. But if you can see people the way that God sees them, you don't ever give up on people. And after all, isn't that what you want? Don't you want God to never give up on you? Don't you want other people to never give up on you? 
I mean, I, I think it's highly appropriate and awesome that shielded by faith is here today because shielded by faith is built on this second chances, redemption, endless hope, endless mercy, endless grace. And you've seen how it's transformed this, these group of women and literally raised up leaders who are carrying this ministry on and it's changing people's lives. When we live this out, when we live like Christ, not in, in, a, in the context of our lives with one another, but also within our relationship with God, it creates this heavenly picture. Where we love God and we love others and ultimately are able to love ourselves. So here's the thing. If you want to be in a good relationship, if you want good friendships, it starts with you. It starts with the kind of friend you are. And every single one of us can be a Ruth. Every single one of us can choose, instead of having people earn their value, we can decide to give it freely to them. And we can lower ourselves and raise people up, letting them know that they mean a lot to us, showing them that they mean a lot to us and never giving up hope. And maybe just maybe if we're that kind of friend to somebody else, maybe just maybe they'll start being that kind of friend to us. Maybe just maybe it will inspire them to be that kind of friend to other people as well. And maybe just maybe that could change the world. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, as we come to you this morning, God, would you help every single one of us be more of a Ruth? God, will you help us in humility to lower ourselves and to elevate other people? Would the value that people have, would we not make people earn it, but would we give it freely as a gift, God? God, would we, in our relationships, and our friendships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus? Would we love one another with mercy, with peace, with grace? And may we have hope and see the best in one another. In your name we pray. Amen. The-